Kasika Democracy, Patron-Client Relations, Elite-Captured Institutions, Illustrado Politics. These are some descriptions that we've heard regarding the nature of politics and democracy in the Philippines. As we move forward with the new administration, however, all the problems in our society still persisting, how can we reclaim our agency and be more hopeful about the future of our nation? Let's talk about this in the season finale, dahil Challenges to democratic practices Weak institutions Systemic problems Hindi na Hi, I am Vekal Porha I am Ligan Dularia And I am Aaron Maliari and you are listening to podcast Conversations on Philippine History, Politics and Society Hello sa inyong lahat. Sana ay nasa mabuting kalagayan tayong lahat. We are already in the season finale of our fourth season, Hindi na Bago Yan. And what a ride. It was 24 episodes, no? This is our 24th episode. Grabe, ang bilis at the same time. Parang antagal din, no? Ang dami nangyari. And I believe talagang, at ako na magkasabi talaga, we had a wonderful season. We tackled so many issues in the hopes of striking more conversations about the contemporary issues in our society. Yeah, 24 episodes nga all in all, including what we have today. We've covered a range of topics and we have now come to this final episode where we will talk about something so broad, so complex, and yet so personal as well. We experience it, we live it, and we live in it. Pag-usapan natin sa ating final episode for the season, ang democracy. True, and this is quite fitting to cap our season given that we have just concluded our presidential elections. No, A new administration is set to begin. But as you mentioned, since we live in a democracy, our duties as citizens and our avenues to engage should never be limited to the casting of our vote. That's right. Mahirap man, we need to soldier on and continue our efforts in building our democracy in spite of looming challenges na sobrang palpable in the air. Oh, baka maiyak pa si Veronica. So, bago yun mangyari, as we mentioned, we will be discussing democracy, particularly democratic practices and deliberative democracy in the Philippines. To help us in our discussion, we talked to Dr. Nicole Curato, Professor of Political Sociology at the University of Canberra. And to start off our discussion, we asked Nicole to share her insights about the broad topic of democracy in the Philippines, lalo na since some scholars would characterize the Philippines as a young democracy as opposed to a mature one. So ano bang ibig sabihin ito? Yeah, so typically when scholars describe democracy as mature, uh, I'm doing air quotes here since this is a podcast, uh, they refer to democracies where institutions for voice and accountability are consistently strong. So for example, we can expect courts to render judgments in a consistent and timely manner based on laws Uh, that the legislature passed, or we expect elections to be consistently held in a free and a competitive manner, or we expect human rights to be upheld equally to all citizens. So when scholars say that the Philippines is a young democracy, it's another way of saying that our country is still 
trying to work out how to strengthen our institutions for voice and accountability. So obviously the application or implementation of our laws is uneven. Um, some people get punished for tax evasion while others can just get away with it. Or human rights, uh, it seems, are negotiable. Apparently, pag drug addict or nabansagang komunista, apparently hindi applicable yung human rights minsan in practice. So in that sense, we can say that we are a young democracy in the sense that we are still figuring out the kind of institutions that we want, the kind of institutions that we can build, and the values that we hold dear um, as our Filipinos. Um, but I think I also want to challenge that a bit, yung description of the Philippines as a young democracy. I think it's uh, valuable to recognize uh, that our democracy is young only if we look at it from a state-centric or institutional perspective. In fact, we can actually say that Filipinos have long embraced uh, democratic practices. So I'm not sure how historians feel about this. So this is my foray into giving a historical example. But for example, uh, the Cartilia or the Code of Ethics of Katipunan emphasizes the virtues of pagkakapantay-pantay or equality or katwiran, which is reason. Uh, these are values exactly of deliberative democracy. And these are virtues evident, are, these are virtues that are evident in uh, Katipunan's Code of Ethics. So I'm drawing here from the work of uh, Glenn Anthony May, who described Andres Bonifacio to have a, a consultative approach to warfare and apparently questions on uh, the right time to declare the revolution was answered through voting after many nights of deliberation. So to me, that is really uh, fascinating. So to quote uh, his work, uh, apparently Katipuneros became revolutionaries uh, only after due deliberation and only because a representative group of them had reached a decision to go to war. So apparently, Bonifacio as the chair of the assembly or the pulong, even though he put forward arguments uh, that he believes in, he did not um, steer the discussion to advance his interests or his own views. Uh, to me, fascinating that ultimately, yung decision-making authority pala in the Katipunan rested not on its leader, but with the assembly. So why am I saying this? I, I'm saying this because there is an impression that democracy is a foreign concept imposed on the Philippines. Uh, there is an impression, especially now maybe, that Filipinos are better suited to a dictatorial or authoritarian style of government. Um, but to, to think of a deliberative ref to think of a deliberative revolutionary movement, I think it's, it's inspiring because it, it reminds us that even in times of crisis, ito na nga, revolution na nga, we expect our leaders, sometimes we expect our leaders to be decisive, but what, what the Katipunan tells us or the lesson that we can learn from the Katipunan is that we can make the best decisions when we do it together, when we consider different perspectives to inform collective decision-making uh, instead of relying on the wisdom of, of a single leader. So, young democracy, in the sense that we are still in the process of building and strengthening our institutions. Sabi nga sa work ni Joel Migdalano, strong societies, weak states. Pero syempre, we need to always be reminded that, of course, this is historically contingent. We need to always ask how it came to be. 
At syempre sa Pilipinas, we have a long history that we can study to make sense of why our institutions seem to remain weak. I like how Nicole framed her insights Now, while some markers of what a mature democracy is ought to be might really seem to be lacking in our contemporary society. We need to also have more nuance to this and say that if we look into our historical experience, we find evidence that deliberation has been valued. Like dun nga sa example niya sa Katipunan. And that is really interesting kasi syempre the Katipunan is the revolutionary organization and movement that envisioned a Philippines free from colonialism and launched that revolution to see it to fruition. So in many ways talaga yung ideas nila is very telling. Pero in the contemporary sense rin kasi, madalas nakikita ang Pilipinas, lalo na in the last six years, as part of this global trend of democratic backsliding. This is of course seen in light of liberal democracy. We asked Nicole about her thoughts about this. Yeah, I think in that, with that question, what I would always do is to disaggregate what we mean by democracy. Kasi nga parang na-associate yung democracy with a particular form of government. And then it's easy to say na hindi naman nakakain yan, di ba? Hindi naman siya nakaka-solve ng kahirapan. So walang pakialam yung mga tao sa democracy. But if we try to be more specific or precise in our thinking, and we start thinking about democratic practices or democratic discourses, I could honestly say that I think democratic practices are very much valued by everyday Filipinos. So for example, if I draw from my own work, uh, I see people's appreciation for democratic practices that seriously consider people's voices. So for example, uh, my colleagues and I went to Marawi for field work. Uh, we heard internally displaced communities from the Marawi siege complaining that they were not consulted about Marawi rehabilitation. Uh, they protest the injustice of being left out of decision-making on policies that affect their lives. Uh, in my work on post-disaster rehabilitation uh, in Tacloban, my research participants felt insulted when the government just imposed a no-build zone policy without even listening to the considerations of people who lived in disaster-prone areas for decades. Uh, in my work with Bianca Franco on the drug war, uh, we heard people from communities who witnessed drug-related killings. Uh, we heard their stories that while they appreciate the drug war because it brought peace and order to their community, they're not in favor of Tokhang because they felt that people who got killed did not have the chance to defend themselves. In other words, hindi daw patas yung laban. Um, so when I think back on these experiences, um, talking to various communities in the Philippines, I rarely hear the word democracy, due process, or human rights, which are principles associated to liberal democracy. But their demands for democratic practices or virtues of voice, fairness, and accountability, these demands were resonant. So I really would hesitate to say that Filipinos don't care about democracy. We just have very different articulations of what we value. But if we reflect on these stories, then I think Filipinos do care about um, about liberal values. Important yung pag-broaden natin ang discussion by looking into democratic practices and democratic discourses. 
Totoo. Sabi nga rin ni Nicole, no, sa, nabanggit niya sa kanyang experiences sa work niya sa Marawi after the siege, sa Tacloban after Yolanda, at sa Manila amidst the drug war. Laging may stories where people assert their voices. Ang ganda ng point ni Nicole na sometimes hindi lang nat naririnig yung actual terms na democracy, halimbawa sa conversations, pero nandun yung pagpapahalaga sa democratic values. Kasi kapag na-confine tayo sa mga metrics na developed in a different context like sa West, mahirap natin makita yung scope ng danas natin, lalo na sa Pilipinas, na post-colonial, at isang global south na bansa. So, madaming mga layers. Pero yun nga, since kakatapos lang nga natin ng elections ngayon, kailangan rin natin i-remind ng ating mga sarili na hindi lang naman sa eleksyon natatapos ang democratic participation. So, we ask Nicole, paano pa nga ba natin dapat pag-isipan ang democratic practices sa Pilipinas? So, I think dito huhugot ako dun sa work namin on deliberative democracy. So, like what you said, When we talk about democracy, it's not limited to casting a ballot every three or six years. Um, deliberative democracy actually asserts that we need to build a democracy where we make decisions together based on inclusive and reasonable discussion. So yun yung aspiration. And obviously, our society is far from that ideal. So usually, sanay tayo na our leaders make decisions based on their self-interest. So hindi naman inclusive Or even when we think about voting, as voters, we make decisions sometimes based on disinformation or sometimes based on hyper-partisan content that we see on our news feeds. So we don't really make decisions based on good reason. So I think yung, yung question nga is, how can we make deliberative democracy not just as an aspiration but as a plausible political project? Now, how can we build a society where we can make decisions together based on inclusive and reasonable uh, discussion. And so this has been the puzzle uh, for many scholars these days. And actually, I'm very proud to bring in my work in the Philippines here. Parati kong pinagmamalaki sa colleagues ko na yung 1987 constitution ng Pilipinas is really deliberative in character. So for example, we have guarantees for the right of the people and other organizations to effective and reasonable participation at all levels of social, political, and economic decision-making. Our constitution also, in principle, hints at workplace democracy. I think that's really progressive, that our workers have a constitutionally enshrined right to, and I quote, participate in policy and decision-making processes affecting their rights and benefits as may be provided by law. Sobrang ganda, di ba? Na parang, parang yung iba kong colleagues na iinggit na parang, Wow, merong ganyang constitutionally enshrined right sa Pilipinas para makaparticipate sa deliberation yung mga ordinaryong tao. So I think the point is, in principle, we have provisions for deliberative democracy to thrive in our country, that we actually have a right to be heard before our LGUs, for example, uh, make decisions. Our democracy is not just limited to electoral democracy, but also direct and deliberative participation of ordinary citizens. Uh, but unfortunately, these principles are only in paper. Uh, practice is a different story. But I think the point I want to emphasize here, especially since there are speculations that the 1987 constitution might be changed given the current administration or the incoming administration, uh, I think maybe this is my way of appealing um, for your listeners to appreciate how beautifully written the 1987 constitution is, how progressive it is, how world-leading it is. 
And I hope we just work harder in implementing these principles and putting them to practice. Ang ganda nun, no? Yung reminder na democracy is not limited to casting a vote every three or six years. Emphasize, at i-quote ko rin yung sinabi ni Nicole na we need to build a democracy where we make decisions based on inclusive and reasonable discussions. Ito yung aspirations nga ng deliberative democracy. At fascinating rin na ma-remind tayo na enshrined sa 1987 constitution natin yung pag-value sa deliberative at participatory practices. We just really need to see to it that the spirit behind it and the promise it holds becomes an everyday reality. Sabi nga rin ni Nicole, moving the deliberative democracy aspiration to a political project and advocacy to put them into practice. Since na-mention nga natin yung hope to see deliberative democracy and democratic participation being more inclusive and in some sense, mas maramdaman natin, Tinanong rin natin si Nicole, ano ba ang challenges to democratic participation and deliberative democracy in the Philippines? I think yung challenge ng deliberative democracy sa Pilipinas is a challenge shared around the world. So for me, the biggest constraint on deliberative democracy or democratic participation is bigger than the Duterte administration, is bigger than the Marcos administration. The biggest constraint is a marketized public sphere. And yun nga, this is not unique to the Philippines. Uh, we live in a society where public deliberation takes place in a privatized public sphere. So of course, social media comes to mind, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, these are platforms where political conversations take place, but these platforms are not designed for political conversation. These platforms are commercial platforms, meaning our public sphere is a commercial sphere. So there is incentive to be confrontational, aggressive, inflammatory. There is incentive for a cancel culture, kuyo culture, clapback culture, because these are the kinds of content that go viral. And when content goes viral, there's more advertising money. The content creator is encouraged. To, to do that because there's more money, tech platform receives more money when there are more eyeballs. So I think that is that is the threat. We are engaging in democratic discourse in commercialized platforms. But if we think about it, especially in the context of the Philippines, this is not really new. If we think about the return of the free press after the dictatorship, the return of the free press is also marked by the return of the elite ownership of media companies. So typically we talk about political dynasties, but um, as Ana Cristina Pertiera puts it, we also have media dynasties in the Philippines. Our media system has been commercially driven uh, by a few families then. And it's not surprising that there are pressures for some journalists, not all of course, but some journalists to engage in sensational reporting, to meet the demands of a competitive market. So this places media integrity on the spotlight. So magugulat pa ba tayo na nagde-decline yung trust ng public sa media, whereas for the longest time, the way our media system is organized in the Philippines was really set up in a way that has tensions with, with democracy, di ba? Hindi na rin bago yung concept ng environmental, uh, sorry, hindi na rin bago yung concept ng envelopmental journalism, yung naglalagay sa mga broadcasters para pabanguhin yung pangalan ng ibang negosyo or ng ibang politiko. So, what does this tell us? 
I think this tells us that the, the this tells us that democratic participation cannot thrive if our information ecosystem is held together by commercial logics. So going back to the political project of, of building a deliberative democracy, I think the challenge for us is to create alternative spaces for reasonable discussion where virtues of open-mindedness, reflection, uh, slow thinking, and empathetic understanding are rewarded. Because the environment natin ngayon for communication, these, these values are not rewarded. Um, nuanced thinking, thinking or arguing with a lot of caveats and a lot of nuance is not rewarded. So sabihin lang sa'yo, oh, wala ka namang prinsipyo. If you change your mind because because you you encountered uh, a better argument or you encountered new evidence, sabihin sa'yo, parang anduwag mo naman, paiba-iba ka ng isip, di ba? So I think we have to also work hard in rebuilding our information ecosystem. And that problem really predates uh, contemporary strongmen. Marketized public sphere. So as Nicole mentioned, it's systemic. On the one hand, yung isang major space like social media where conversations about politics are taking place is not necessarily designed to be conducive to deliberation. True. At kung babalikan natin yung episode natin with Jonathan Ong no, on fake news, it was revealed that there is an industry behind this. So sa social media, kung saan na monetize ang views, talagang kung makakakuha ng attention ang galit or ang vitriol, yun talaga yung namamayani kasi nga market-driven din talaga. At as Nicole also reminds us, hindi lang ito sa social media ha, yung ang media dynasties na tinatawag ay nandyan rin kung saan yung mga media companies ay pag-aari ng iilang mayayamang pamilya. May epekto rin ito sa overall information and communication environments na ginagalawa natin. Pero since hindi naman lahat ng conversation nangyayari online, may shared din sa atin si Nicole na story about a deliberative democracy forum na inorganize niya kung saan invite nila in one venue yung mga widows ng Tokhang victims at mga supporters ng Tokhang to talk about how to build better security sa barangay for the future of their children. Yung buong kwento ni Nicole, pwedeng pakinggan ng listeners natin sa interview na nasa website ng podcast. Pero yung isang lumabas dito is yung impact kapag talagang nagkakaroon ng pagkakataon makinig sa isa't isa. Ang ganda nun, no? Pero ngayon, let's move to the recently concluded elections naman kung saan nakita natin ang grabbing division sa pagitan ng supporters ng mga candidates lalo na nung height ng kampanya. So tinanong natin si Nicole about her insights tungkol sa recently concluded elections and this is what she said. I still insist on the answer na it's the context that made us vote a certain way or it's the context that made our society divisive. It's not because we are so different as people. So I think the biggest challenge for us now after the 2022 election is how we can talk to each other in a context where our sources of information and our interpretations of reality are worlds apart. So... To me, the biggest concern is how can we build solidarities and pursue things that we value as a nation if there is incentive to exaggerate our differences and disseminate the divisive narratives. So I think it's an open question in my field right now. How do we deliberate in a context where people embrace alternative epistemologies, meaning 
how can we engage in projects of political accountability, for example, when court judgments are considered just one of many interpretations of the source of Marx's wealth? How do we deliberate in a context where the judgment of Swiss courts about the Marcus's ill-gotten wealth has the same standing as conspiracy theories on Taliano gold? How can we deliberate in that context? Uh, I personally still have no answers uh, to this question, so I appeal to your listeners uh, for us to, to brainstorm together. So that's my first concern. My second concern is, and this is something that I'm still working out because I, I just started looking at the data uh, that we gathered uh, over the campaign period. So basically, my colleague Bianca Frank and I have been interviewing Marco supporters. And part of the challenge is when we interview them and ask for their reasons why they support um, Bongbong Marcos, I feel like their answers are reflections of what we call hegemony or common sense. Na parang yung sagot nila, syempre, kasi okay naman si Marcos, o syempre, kasi panahon na nila ngayon, or o syempre, kasi um, bababa yung presyo ng bigas. Yung revealing for me in these interviews is yung syempre, the taken for grantedness, na parang, oh, malamang, Marcos is yung dapat butohin. And mahirap i-unpack we try to ask questions, we try to ask for justifications, but it has reached the level of common sense to the point that even interrogating the reasons for their support um, sounds silly. Bakit mo patatanungin? Hindi ba obvious? So yun yung win-workout ko pa ngayon, na ito na ba yung common sense na hindi na siya pwedeng i-unpack? So I don't know if that is something useful for your podcast. Baka meron din kayong answer doon. In the same way na for the longest time, syempre, EDSA, okay, di ba? Hindi mo na yun i-unpack. Syempre, may holiday tayo tuwing February. Syempre, kinocommemorate natin yung, yung, um, yung imposition ng martial law tuwing September. Of course, we do that. Umabot yun sa level ng common sense. So parang ngayon, nag-iba na yung common sense. So anong gagawin natin sa mundo na yun na pala yung common sense? So yun yung hindi ko pa ma-figure out masyado. I agree with Nicola no, na yung impact ng elections is still unfolding. Pero ang striking sa akin, nung shinare niya about some stances, have reached a level of common sense na parang hindi na siya up for debate. At nandun nga yung systemic na context that it seems that exaggerated differences thrive. Di ba nga sa kulay pa lang, loaded na nung meaning nitong nakaraang eleksyon. At lalo na sa kasaysayan ng bansa, yung contestations about the narratives of our past, they have become so pronounced that even though there is overwhelming evidence, if it goes against a certain view, which could be a distorted view, hindi na minsan nagmamatter yung evidence eh. At naririnig pa natin ngayon lagi yung pakinggan ng bayan, pero kailangan natin lagi alalahanin na may iba-ibang boses. Pag sinabi nating pakinggan, sino? Baka may hindi rin na pakikinggan. That's right. So, amidst all of this, how do we find hope for the future? This is what Nicole said. I think the hope rests in the creativity of Filipinos creating a shared story that we can all believe in. So, I think if there is one lesson that we can learn from the success of the Marcos Duterte campaign, it's that they were able to give a compelling story that many people thought uh, was appealing. 
So now the burden is on on Democrats, basically. Uh, what's on the table? Anong kwento ng lipunan yung gusto mong paniwalaan ng mas nakararami na appealing sa kanila? Kung hindi tayo masaya sa kwento ng mga Marcos at ng mga Duterte, anong kwento yung magiging proud tayo na ikwento sa mga susunod na henerasyon? So I think hindi lang pwede na negatively framed yung mga kwento natin na wag Marcos, wag Duterte kasi ganito. Ano yung alternative? Ano yung mas magandang kwento? And I think dito napapasok yung kahalagahan ng hindi lang teachers, uh, hindi lang mga artists, pero aminin na natin, content creators, the creatives on TikTok, advertising executives, we are really relying on our creative class to construct these stories. And I think my appeal is as we construct these stories, the construction should also be deliberative. Ibig sabihin, dapat maging komportable rin tayo na isama dun sa kwento yung mga uh, imperfections ng democracy natin, ano yung limits, ano yung open questions. So sana yung, yung story din natin is open-ended, meaning pakiramdam ng nakikinig, kaya din niyang mag-ambag dun sa kwento na yon, kaya din niyang i-extend. Creative actor din siya dun sa kwento na yon, hindi lang siya audience or recipient ng kwento na yon. So, yun. So, I think we, we still have a lot to figure out. But I can say that this is also uh, a very exciting time kasi nga open-ended yung kwento. So, hindi siya depressing after all. Ano ang kwento na magiging proud tayo na ipasa sa susunod na henerasyon? I think ang poignant nitong sinabi na ito ni Nicole, na sa panahon na ang hirap ng pag-uusap, kailangan nating hanapin yung hope sa creativity at resilience natin to find meaningful ways to engage and find a story to pass on to the next generation. Pero that, of course, does not go with us letting lies and disinformation slide. While we try to find the courage, patience, and hope to continue engaging, we also need to remain consistent with our valuation of evidence-based and logical but also inclusive and reasonable conversations. Ako mismo aminado na hirap ako to reach out and engage more ngayon, lalo ngayon, kasi napagod na rin siguro talaga ako. Pero baka nga kailangan natin na mas effortan. I agree. So, you know, as we end our season, naisip ko lang, we have focused so much on the challenges of our society at medyo sad yung framing natin no, nung hindi na bago yan. Kasi parang hindi na natin kayang baguhin yan kasi ang tagal na yan nangyayari. Okay, I think it's important then for us no, to end this season with hope. Alright, so that's it for this episode. If you want to listen to our full interview with Dr. Nicole Corato, head over to our website, podcast.org. You can also follow Nicole sa kanyang Twitter, at Nicole Corato. Follow our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at LinkedIn. Subscribe na rin kayo sa aming YouTube channel, Podcast TV. Thank you for listening to the fourth season of Podcast. We are already working on our fifth season. For now, as we move to a new administration in the Philippines, close-mindedness, apathy at pagiging apolitical, mapang-away sa social media, baguhin natin, natin yan. yan. Thank you for listening. See you next season and have a good day.